Greetings, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Kingdom's Cornerstone News, the first newscast dedicated to citizens of the kingdom that will have no end. I'm Jamie Kiever. Today is Tuesday, August 24th, 2021. Before we get started, I want to apologize in advance. This is going to be a bit of a longer show. I'm trying hard to get these shows down to around 20 minutes, and this is why we're releasing more B-Block, which is a separate video product we release the same time as each show, so you can watch complete unedited B-Block interviews, but even so, it is still a challenge. Now, in the description, you'll find time code coinciding with specific blocks and segments, so you can skip the parts you're not interested in but I do hope you watch the entire program. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, an Indianapolis-based government group, released a report last week stating nearly 15 million mail-in ballots are unaccounted for in the 2020 presidential election. In the description of this video, we'll include a link to the report that blames the discrepancies on states pushing in-person voters to mail in their ballots while learning for the first time how to administer such a scenario. Over to Afghanistan, where a firefight and possibly a fire broke out at the Kabul airport yesterday. Here's video courtesy of Behold Israel's Amir Safardi's Telegram channel, which we'll link to in the description of this video. The German government reported at least one Afghan soldier was killed in the firefight, the latest chaos to engulf Western efforts to evacuate those fleeing the Taliban takeover of the country. A spokesperson for China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said the U.S. cannot simply abandon Afghanistan. He went on to say the United States is the root cause and the biggest external factor in the Afghan issue. He called on the U.S. to help maintain stability, avoid chaos, and rebuild Afghanistan. As events continue to unfold in Afghanistan, much of the civilized world is asking themselves, how did this happen? More importantly, what can we do to improve the situation? Joining me to discuss this is the director of Frontier Alliance International, a disciple-making ministry focusing on spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to the least reached people groups in the world, to include Afghanistan and Iran. Jeff Henderson, I know you are incredibly busy right now, and I'm very grateful to speak to you. Thanks, Jamie. It's great to be with you. How is Frontier Alliance International uniquely set up to work with the underground church in Afghanistan? Yeah, that's a great question, Jamie. I don't, I don't know that we're uniquely set up, but we're set up, and I, I think it's a, a uh, it's a byproduct of fostering deep relationships and partnerships over the course of the last ten years with uh, many different organizations who are who are boots on the ground working in these different countries in the Middle East, and we're blessed to have had a, a deep and abiding relationship with a ministry uh, called Global Catalytic Ministries or GCM, who uh, use. If anybody's followed FAI at all or any of our documentary work, you might have seen uh, GCM in the work that we're doing in Cheap Among Wolves and so forth. These guys are phenomenal leaders, and they are absolutely boots on the ground in Afghanistan uh, as we speak. How is FAI responding to the current situation? Well, uh, step one, I think, for us has always been a deep desire to gather reliable information from people that we know who are boots on the ground. Um, we have friends who are there in the underground church. We have friends who ha are there or have been there as missionaries. Uh, we've been tracking with them throughout uh, the events that have unfolded in Afghanistan. This has been unfolding for much longer than it's been in, in you know, in our uh, on the front of our radar screen here. Uh, so we've been praying and engaging with them. Uh, that's part of what we've done. We 
are trying to advocate for these partners as best as we can, the, the, these guys who are uniquely positioned, like GCM, to make a difference uh, for the underground church in Afghanistan, not just for right now in the midst of crisis, but for the long haul. It's going to be a long haul. And then I think the third thing is just, you know, a deep desire to mobilize prayer amongst the global body of Christ uh, that the church in Afghanistan would flourish under pressure. And that brings me to my next question, actually. How can we, in the West especially, pray for the underground church? I think the two words that come to mind are strength and endurance, that they would have the strength uh, in these days to, uh, to stand firm and to hold on to the faith and to endure. I, we often say with an FAI that greatness in the kingdom of God is, is persevering, running the race marked out for you and not quitting. Uh, they tend, our, our brothers and sisters who are, who are serving and suffering in the global south and places where there's real persecution tend to know a lot more about that than, than I do. Uh, and so we're not necessarily praying that out of our own uh, experiential knowledge that goes beyond theirs, but we're asking the Lord to supply and provide for them something that will uh, that will help them to be strong and to endure. Uh, but frankly, we we pray in other ways as well. We pray that they would be hidden, supernaturally hidden. You know, even as as the Lord Himself was in John eight. Uh, you know, when Jesus disappears from the crowd, and we, we pray that, that these would be days, that these would be glorious days in the midst of great suffering, uh, where many would come to know the Lord, that the church would flourish, you know, under pressure. We pray for those who are fleeing, having to flee to the mountains, that they would be protected, that, the, that you know, Psalm 73, Psalm 91, that there, that there would be protection in the hills, even. We pray for miraculous protection for women and children uh, who are who probably will suffer the most uh, as the Talib, you know, make their way, you know, uh, back through these provincial capitals and, and through the whole country. And we pray that ultimately that the, the church in Afghanistan would step into her identity in Christ in, in, in unity with the Holy Spirit and to flourish again, as we said, uh, even in the midst of this great pressure. Amen. I, I personally am struggling in my prayer life right now about this. I mean, I'm praying those things, certainly, but I'm feeling a lot of anger and wanting to pray for God's yeah. wrath on the evil everywhere responsible for this, from Tehran to Washington, D.C., and everywhere in between. And I don't really think I'm alone in this. David often prayed in the Old Testament for God to deliver him from his enemies, but I'm just not used to it. I, and I'm curious. I mean, what's the righteous way to handle these kinds of feelings? Well, I guess uh, you're you're kind of asking me to put on my pastor's hat, right? <laughs> you know, in a way. Um, uh, number one, I, I authenticate those feelings. They're, they're, I validate them. I'm feeling many of those same feelings myself, Jamie. And but as followers of, of Christ, we can't always uh, follow our feelings. There are times we have to disagree with our feelings, and um, you know, we we have to trust the Lord even in this this arena of our lives. I just had a situation last night where a friend shared with me, a very close friend, uh, about a family member who was horribly raped. And I know that my heart in hearing that uh, was so burning with anger to, to desire to see vengeance for these people who had perpetrated this against this innocent person. Um, but even in that situation, my friend who's more closely connected than I said that in his own anger, he heard the Lord saying, you need to pray and forgive and to move in ways that are righteous unto the Lord. And, you know, we have to bring our hearts into the, the light of the newer covenant. I was just reading this morning 
uh, in the the Sermon on the Mount just earlier before we got on, uh, Jesus going through the, this very issue of saying, and I'll read it to you. You've heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Uh, you know, we have to, we are compelled by Christ himself to, to not just um, desire vengeance is his, but to pray uh, for those who persecute us. Uh, you, you even mentioned, you know, some of the feelings here at home. I mean, I'm, I'm proud to be an American, but there are times I'm, I'm very uh, disturbed, disappointed, uh, whatever feeling I might uh, draw out here of the way that I see our, our government responding or not responding in these situations. And I'm reminded of his advice to Timothy, uh, Paul's advice to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, that, that we're supposed to intercede and make supplication for those who are in authority, um, that we would see peace, you know, amongst us. And so even when I don't agree, which is, you know, quite often these days, I, I find myself driven to my knees to pray for those who are in authority. Jeff, Beyond prayer, how can people help the underground church in Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, the whole Middle East, but specifically Afghanistan? How, how can people help beyond prayer? Yeah, I, you know, again, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to the Sermon on the Mount and see if that doesn't give way to a practical answer. I, uh, Jesus says, in a way that seems to me to be very normal, ordinary Christianity, and, and just after these words in Matthew 5, he says in Matthew 6, uh, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast, he says these as they're, they're givens. These are things that are ordinary, normal building blocks of our faith, that we would, we would give of our resources, that we would pray for those who are in need, and that we would even renounce our own, um, you know, abundance by denying ourselves and replacing that time that we would, we would eat with time that's given over to the Lord. And so to me, that's a simple little rubric mm -hmm. for how I, I, I seek to help. I, I, I want to give of my resources. And I know that we at Frontier Alliance International are plugging our resources and those who partner with us directly into GCM, Global Catalytic Ministries, because they're doing such effective work and they are so well positioned. And I know they set a goal to raise uh, half a million dollars by 9-11. By and I think uh, I just heard recently they're over 1.5 million, and they've now set that bar to two million dollars. That money is imperative to help for the long haul to provide, um, you know, you know, simple necessities like food and water to people, but also the resources to continue to be able to provide. Uh, there's some who need to get a, have a way out, mm -hmm. and there's some who need to stay. We want to be able to supply both of those areas. Um, so. When we can give, we can pray, as we've just talked about, and we can also deny ourselves in ways that would focus greater attention on the situation that's there. I think those biblical, simple biblical uh, admonitions by the Lord give us very practical ways that we can help. Um, and then I would add to that, learn all you can mm -hmm. about the situation. I think uh, your, your, your viewers, your followers who are following you, Jamie, are, are, are getting good information from you. I've enjoyed watching your episodes. This is real stuff. Um, you're, you're bypassing the middleman, and I think you're, you're offering you know, uh, news that comes, that's based in truth, that comes from real great sources. And so 
learn what you can uh, about what's really going on in the world, particularly in Afghanistan these days. Uh, check out the work of GCM, Global Catalytic Ministries. Uh, you can check out their, I, I think we'll have a link uh, to their page or sheepamongwolves.world. There's um, another source that you can find out what's going on. And, uh, you know, we appreciate all that you're doing, Jamie, to, to, to help bring attention to this, this day and the season. It's my honor. Uh, just just for the record, uh, sheepamongwolves.world will bring you to GCM's website where you can make a financial contribution. Um, and uh, I can't think of a better way to spend the money God has entrusted me with. Jeff Henderson, Director of Frontier Alliance International, thank you so much uh, for what you do. You know how much I appreciate Frontier Alliance International's work. Thank you for your time, and I do hope to speak to you again in the future. Thank you, Jamie. Hi, I'm Abby Johnson, the founder of And Then There Were None. Since 2012, we've helped almost 600 abortion clinic workers lead the abortion industry by providing a safety net of resources and assistance with healing. These courageous quitters, as we call them, are worthy of being celebrated. We would be honored if you would join us for the first time ever at our black tie fundraising event featuring former clinic workers whose lives have been forever changed with the help of our services. Their stories are changing the way America views abortion and they can't wait to share them with you. It's all happening Saturday, September 18th at the Hilton Anatole Hotel in Dallas, Texas. Please enjoy complimentary registration at quittersball.com. Our vision is no abortion clinic workers, no abortion clinics, no abortions. It all starts with the workers. We hope to see you at And Then There Were None's first Quitters Ball. Welcome back to the show. Anyone with siblings knows the phrase, that's not fair, to which a parent will almost always reply, Life's not fair, and it's true. Life doesn't deal fair hands to us all. One guy in particular can tell us all about that. His name is Nick Vujicic. He's an Australian-American born without arms or legs and has become a world-renowned speaker, New York Times best-selling author, coach, and how I found out about you, an entrepreneur co-founding a pro-life bank to fight abortion in jaw-dropping ways. Nick, it is an honor to have you on the show. James, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for, for letting me just talk to your audience. God bless you. My pleasure, actually. I mean, you have such an amazing story. And before we dive into the bank stuff, can you tell us about yourself? I mean, no arms or legs. I, I read in your bio you were bullied in school. Now, I have a hard time putting myself in your shoes. I mean, do you even have shoes? I don't know. The point is, you've got multiple ministries. You're an accomplished author, a successful investor, a husband, a father. You are thriving. What's your story? James, thanks for letting me share my story. Look, my history is his story, right? And so, first of all, I do have a pair of shoes in my closet just in case God gives me arms and legs. I've had the privilege and honor of seeing physical miracles and exorcisms right in front of me. And I've seen the power of, of the spiritual realm, both on the on God's side and the enemy's side. And I just want you all to know that God has a plan for you. And uh, I'm not someone to say that I understand your pain, your, your pain uh, but God does have a plan. And 
when you have broken pieces, brokenness is brokenness, but hope is hope. And I love that verse where it says, for the good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And so my story basically is that I was born without limbs in Melbourne, Australia, in 1982 in a Christian home. And they told me that I'm beautiful, that God loves me. Uh, and my parents never gave up on God and they never gave up on me. And as they held on to God, God held on to them to carry them through this struggle of raising a child with no arms, no legs, with no medical reason and no other benchmark in how to raise a limbless boy. In fact, in Australia in those days, it was illegal to be integrated. I had to be segregated uh, in a school system until my mom, uh, upon inception of me being of age to go to school, uh, could actually say, why can't my son go to school like everybody else? Uh, In a mainstream school setting, I learned arms and her legs. Didn't think that it was such a big deal till I got bullied. I uh, learned how to do many things with my little left foot, which is on the bottom left of my torso, a little appendage that enables me now to type 53 words a minute on a normal computer and uh, swim and golf and fish and surf and skydive. But uh, obviously, because I couldn't compete in running and many other things, I competed in mathematics. And so I excelled in mathematics um, and that gave me confidence that when I couldn't do this, 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 at least I could do this well. You're co-founding a bank. What is it called and how did that all come about? So um, back in 2015, um, I was speaking for a fundraising event um, for a nonprofit out in Santa Barbara who gave free ultrasounds to abortion-determined women who then 70% of them, after seeing the ultrasound of their baby in their womb, they decided not to go through with the abortion. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, uh, with that, though, it was quite a challenge for Betsy Gray, who was CEO at the time, um, to actually um, get me there. Uh, We simply couldn't say yes to many invitations. She was persistent. God told her I would be her speaker. And uh, finally, um, there's a beautiful faith story there. And because I witnessed from the perspective of where I was standing and her persistence of me hearing, she said, no, God told me you're my speaker. When I said, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then even when I wanted to, it was double booked with another event. And she gave me an email last time, James, she emailed me. And then that double date moved that enabled me to say yes. Um, I knew that this woman heard from God. I knew that she was resilient and wanted to do everything she could to be the voice for the unborn. And so I looked at her in 2015 and I said, Betsy, I'm gonna partner with you for pro-life in America. She said, great. We started this friendship where she's a prayer warrior intercessor praying for me through the night for actually particulars that she did not hear from me, but from God. And she was spot on as she prayed for me through many, many nights. She almost became my spiritual mom to the point that I called her mom. She called me son. 2018, she got a massive endowment for the nonprofit. And she told her her treasurer, please go find me a bank that does not give toward Planned Parenthood. Treasurer, after 21 days of looking throughout Santa Barbara, not one credit union, not one community bank, nor major bank actually said that they do not give toward abortion providers. They were very happy to report that. 
That's when God told Betsy, you're going to start my bank. It's going to be called Pro-Life Banks. She calls me in 2018. She says, son, I'm starting God's bank. I said, that's awesome. She says, called Pro-Life Bank. Great. Would you come on phone calls with me? Went on phone calls, James, and basically after some time between 2018 and 2019, God told her at the uh, at, at Q1 2019 that I am a co-founder and to help her drive this thing. And I said, no. She said, pray about it. Two weeks later, she said, God told me you're my co-founder. And I'm like, well, well, let him tell me too. So I said, for three months, don't contact me and let him tell me this is what he wants me to do. James, uh, within uh, those three months, um, I said a prayer with my wife, committing our life, our marriage, our ministry at B to be ready to go onto the battlefield to become the vocal megaphone and poster child for pro-life. 16 weeks after that prayer, James, we had a grenade at our home with a pin. We had a spine drunk mm. over our home, a fake uh, magazine portraying me um, as um, anti-LGBTQ uh, in a gay magazine. Uh, many things were affected through that. And, and then I woke up uh, and my bank of 15 years relationship um, was basically frozen. Uh, my credit cards were frozen. My debit cards were frozen. I called the bank. I said, what's going on? I said, do you need my fingerprints? Uh, they didn't laugh. Um, and they said, you've got 30 days to find another bank and we can't talk to you. They said a letter's coming. And the letter said, we've done a review of who you are, and uh, we have chosen not to do any business with you. Hmm. Uh, now, this is back in 2019. This is before the words of cancel culture was prevalent. Mm -hmm. um, and so then, James, God said, after some time of settling down, and my credit score went from 827 to 606, and then we went through a financial crisis in 2019 between the uh, article and this and this and this and a lot of things were happening in 2019 that we kept quiet about and we don't have to be quiet about it um, by the grace of God he's amazing uh, he, he caused all things to come together for the good and basically James he said so are you now ready to start my bank with Betsy and I said yes so 2020 uh, was when we were learning and getting ready for Pro-Life Bank. You can go to ProLifeBank.com, give us the email address. We're going to give you announcements before we even do anything on social media. I don't really actually like social media, but I have 14 million social media fans there wanting to connect with me. So I will continue as best as I can until I'm canceled there as well. But I just want you to know um, that there are many friends of mine, James, who actually have the same story, but their banks actually didn't hold back and basically saying, because you work with Christians, we don't want anything to do with you. I know of 10 separate individuals in the last 12 months from small companies to multi-billion dollar wealth management systems uh, that actually were kicked out of banks. And so... Uh, not only, obviously, will Pro-Life Bank never give to abortion providers, we found out that most major banks will tell you gladly that they actually fund um, abortions as a social responsibility cause thread. 
So here we are having God's money in our stewardship, profit being made of God's money there in funding death camps. So then obviously, pro-life banks are going to do that. And in fact, we go a step further. By the grace of God, we're going to give away 50% of net profits away uh, to Judeo-Christian-aligned nonprofit organizations uh, as a forgiving bank. We're going to be opening up first as a trust uh, and then a full-service bank one brick and mortar, Dallas, Texas, and a digital national fintech. We're already getting some offers to go global pretty quickly as well. So it's very, very exciting. Uh, we're just trying to keep up with God. We're praying for our senior bank. We don't know who that is. We're praying for our CEO for our trust. We don't know who that is yet. And uh, we would appreciate your prayers. And please uh, find us at, again, prolifebank.com. Give us your email address or simply get your phone out now and you can text this number. The number is 70,000, 70,000. And you can text the word LIFE and be the first to get the announcements as our community therein in Prolife Bank. Great. Well, I will be sure to get all of your information in the description of this video. Nick Vujicic, you're truly an inspiration. And beyond that, you're doing incredible work for the kingdom, and I just think you're amazing. Please keep Kingdom's Cornerstone News in mind the next time you've got anything you want to share with people. I would love to talk to you again in the future. James, I love you, and God bless you all. And may God bless America. May God bless your ministry as you continue to stand in front of the gates of hell and redirect traffic yourself. I appreciate you, and I love you, and I appreciate your story and your testimony and the platform that you have to share other people's stories that emanate the truth, no matter what our circumstances or struggles are, that Jesus is Lord. Thank you, Nick. Now, there's a lot more to Nick's interview, but we had to edit it down for time. But if you'd like to see just the interview in its entirety with no commercial breaks, simply check out more B-Block, Episode 7, wherever you watch Kingdom's Cornerstone News. All right, we're going to change things up a little bit this show and focus on some national news that happened recently out in Portland. Check out this video. Antifa and Black Lives Matter are approaching a religious gathering with children present when they begin hurling lit fireworks, rocks, and eggs at the worshippers completely unprovoked. Not too long later, one black mother had enough. White supremacy is not the problem. Black boys were not the problem. Antifa black block are the ones who threw bombs, mortars, and pepper spray at me and my children. My baby girl, eight years old, nearly was hit in the face with an explosive by white people dressed up in all black, attacking me and my family. It is not the proud boys. And you, the city of Portland, and everybody who supports them needs to know this. My black children were almost hit with bombs and mortars. My nine-year-old son was drenched in pepper gas, thrown by Antifa. Boy, if black lives matter to you, you better back up. He's deaf, Jane. They did not. Yes, they are part of the problem. Yes. They're part of the problem, but you know what? You, 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 and you are the problem. Every single local news station denied my story. You rejected it in favor of one man with an airsoft gun. No problems were present that day. The event hadn't even started yet. 
We were shaking hands, saying our hellos, smiling at each other, having fun. And Black Lung Antifa marched in, screaming, hell, chanting, hail Satan, and screaming, where's your God now? Okay, it's on video. And you are probably there. I may have been. Antifa doesn't scream. Did you hear it? I may have been. Okay. That is the problem in this city. Okay. They beat and terrorize an Asian gay man who still has to fear for his life, who still hides from them. They still threaten his life. A gay Asian man. Stop Asian hate. Stop black hate. Black Lives Matter and Antifa are domestic terror organizations operating outside of the law. These violent protesters are arrested over and over and simply released. They never get charges pressed against them. It's no consequences. This is a failure of local government and most especially the media. When I was in undergrad at the University of Central Florida studying journalism, my professor at the time, Dr. Lisa Mills, beat it into our heads. The role of the media in our country is to serve the people. Ladies and gentlemen, that is simply not the case any longer. The corporate media, social media, higher education, these violent social justice groups cannot be trusted, and the Christian community must be tracking on all of us, and I think to a large degree they are. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for you today. If you've got a story idea or come across any video you think should be on the show, please reach out to me at jamie.dakeev.com. Also, you can catch the show on YouTube, Vimeo, or Odyssey, but if any of these platforms try to shut us down, you can always go to our main website, kcn.dakeev.com. Thank you so much for watching Kingdom's Cornerstone News. I'm Jamie Kiever. We'll see you next week. Welcome back to the show. Anyone with siblings knows the phrase, that's not fair, to which a parent will almost always reply, life's not fair. And it's true. Life doesn't deal fair hands to us all. One guy in particular can tell us all about that. His name is Nick Vujicic. He's an Australian-American born without arms or legs and has become a world-renowned speaker, New York Times best-selling author, coach, and how I found out about you, an entrepreneur co-founding a pro-life bank to fight abortion in jaw-dropping ways. Nick, it is an honor to have you on the show. James, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for, for letting me just talk to your audience. God bless you. My pleasure, actually. I mean, you have such an amazing story. And before we dive into the bank stuff, can you tell us about yourself? I mean, no arms or legs. I, I read in your bio you were bullied in school. Now, I have a hard time putting myself in your shoes. I mean, do you even have shoes? I don't know. The point is, you've got multiple ministries. You're an accomplished author, a successful investor, a husband, a father. You are thriving. What's your story? James, thanks for letting me share my story. Look, my history is his story, right? And so, first of all, I do have a pair of shoes in my closet just in case God gives me arms and legs. I've 
had the privilege and honor of seeing physical miracles and exorcisms right in front of me. And I've seen the power of, of the spiritual realm, both on the on God's side and the enemy's side. And I just want you all to know that God has a plan for you. And uh, I'm not someone to say that I understand your pain, your, your pain uh, but God does have a plan. And when you have broken pieces, brokenness is brokenness, but hope is hope. And I love that verse where it says, for the good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And so my story basically is that I was born without limbs in Melbourne, Australia in 1982 in a Christian home. And they told me that I'm beautiful, that God loves me. Uh, and my parents never gave up on God and they never gave up on me. And as they held on to God, God held on to them to carry them through this struggle of raising a child with no arms, no legs, with no medical reason and no other bench uh, in how to raise a limbless boy. In fact, in Australia in those days, it was illegal to be integrated. I had to be segregated uh, in a school system until my mom uh, upon inception of me being of age to go to school, uh, could actually say, why can't my son go to school like everybody else? Uh, in a mainstream school setting, I learned arms and her legs. Didn't think that it was such a big deal till I got bullied. Uh, learned how to do many things with my little left foot, which is on the bottom left of my torso, a little appendage that enables me now to type 53 words a minute on a normal computer and uh, swim and golf and fish and surf and skydive. But um, obviously, because I couldn't compete in running and many other things, I competed in mathematics. And so I excelled in mathematics, um, and that gave me confidence that when I couldn't do this, 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 at least I could do this well. Uh, but in that uh, little mind of Nick Vujicic, having a brother and sister born after me with arms and legs, I started asking the bigger questions. Where is God? What kind of plan does he have? Why me? Where are my arms and legs? Where's my miracle? And with the lack of answers from God himself, um, I started getting depressed and isolated and began having an undertide of hatred towards God, for I didn't understand his ways at all. And based on what I saw, based on what I knew, and based on what I felt, I concluded what kind of future I would have, and it didn't look good. So I tried to drown myself, James, in my bathtub at age 10, trying to fill my lungs up with water, wanting to give up. And I was stopped by one thought, by the mercy of God, seeing my parents crying at my grave, wishing they could have done something more. And in fact, at age 10, realizing my parents are going to blame themselves for my own choice to give up. So I decided to stay by the grace of God. And at age uh, 15, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, reading John chapter 9. A man was born blind. No one knew why he was born that way. Jesus said it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. He spits in the dirt, puts mud in his face, and after the facial, he saw. Now, Jesus didn't sit the blind man down and say, hey, I'm the healer. Uh, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and that's my plan. But the blind man didn't ask for the plan either. The blind man was still and knew that he was God. And that's when I realized, am I going to be still and believe that he is God? Am I really going to believe that a greater disability than having no limbs is sin and death itself? Both were conquered by Jesus Christ himself. And that's when I realized more than arms and legs, I need my soul saved and eternal life and a filling of his Holy Spirit. At age 17, James, lastly, the janitor at my high school saw that I was voted on the student government board 
and I spoke as almost like a VP of the school. And I said, you're a crazy old man. He said, no, you're going to travel around the world and give people hope. He said, let me organize your first speech. After me refusing for three months, he twisted my arm. I said, yes. And I went there and I spoke in front of seven students and they were crying. And I realized, wow, here I am seven years uh, later after trying to commit suicide because I didn't believe hope was for me. Now I can be a miracle to help other people know that hope is for them as well. And so I wanted everyone to know that, that there is hope. And um, here I am now traveling around the world, evangelizing, letting people know that beautiful things can come from broken pieces when you give your broken pieces a chance in the hands of the one who could do all things. Yeah, it's an amazing story, Nick. How does your situation give you a unique perspective on right-to-life issues? You know, I, I, I have always felt that uh, one day I'd become vocal um, by the grace of God uh, to stand up for those who have no voice, to understand that um, conception um, of life is therein conception and life therein. And so understanding that there are many other people um, who are told by the doctors are you sure you don't want to test for Down syndrome? Same thing with our doctors. And they were surprised that we didn't want to test to see if our children would be uh, someone who has Down's syndrome. We told them we don't care. Uh, our child, if they have Down syndrome, we know that God still has a plan and that every life is viable. We've had the privilege and honor, James, to actually be with 30 different mothers and fathers who um, were pregnant um, with their limbless child who then came across my videos and showed the doctors saying, if Nick Vujicic's parents can do it, we can do it too. If Nick can do it, then our son or daughter can do it as well. And if God has a plan for our child like God has a plan in any iota, shape or form, of the joy that Nick emanates, we're ready by the grace of God to take it. And so, look, I was disgusted about 2016, the national press conference that Iceland gave as a government to say that they've actually cured Down syndrome in their country, meaning that every child that was going to be brought into this world, birthed, already living in the womb, as Down syndrome was aborted and murdered in the womb, uh, and every other Down syndrome person basically died of age, I don't know how they could even stomach what they were saying. Obviously, you can't be surprised that evil people do evil things. But the bottom line is, uh, I know that God's heart burns for life. He created life. He created earth and everything for life. He created Adam for life, for companionship. And then Adam said, I want companionship. Then he gave Eve, and that, that was life. And then they conceived. And that was life. It's all about life, life, life. Uh, God is passionate for life and he has a plan for every single person. Now, you kind of touched on it before. I'd like to ask you about it now. You consider yourself a numbers guy. What do you mean by that? Well, simply put, my parents were actually in refugee camps. When my mom was six years old, the Yugoslavian communism regime took over their farm, killed all their animals and kicked them out of their own home and put both of my grandfathers in prison. 
So with all of that said, we were told to make sure that as we partake of eating of our meals, we always pray for those who don't have some because my parents were them at one stage. So um, at age six, when I wanted something from the store, my parents said, no, get your own money. So I vacuumed the floor for $2 a week, had my own money. My dad said at age six, Nick, you have no arms, no legs, so get employees to be your hands and feet going to accounting and financial planning. I was pushed very harshly disciplined into getting ahead of all my peers in mathematics. In fact, by the time I was in high school, I was a year of everybody else uh, in my class. And um, I was a chess player. And the way that my brain works now, um, it, it really propelled me into financial literacy as a 16 year old. I was a stock trader at 16, went into options trading in age 17, bought my first home by age 19 and by age 21, did a double major in accounting and financial planning. Didn't get my CPA or CFP. And today with COVID shutting a lot of the things down, my primary income is actually trading. So, uh, you know, the numbers and, and wealth management uh, is a passion, if you will, of mine. Uh, but I never thought I'd ever get into the banking industry. Yeah. And I want to ask you about that. You're co-founding a bank. What is it called and how did that all come about? So um, back in 2015, um, I was speaking for a fundraising event um, for a nonprofit out in Santa Barbara who gave free ultrasounds to abortion-determined women who then 70% of them, after seeing the ultrasound of their baby in their womb, they decided not to go through with the abortion. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, uh, with that, though, it was quite a challenge for Betsy Gray, who was CEO at the time, um, to actually um, get me there. Uh, we simply couldn't say yes to many invitations. She was persistent. God told her I would be her speaker. And uh, finally, um, there's a beautiful faith story there. And because I witnessed from the perspective of where I was standing and her persistence of me hearing, she said, no, God told me you're my speaker. When I said, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then even when I wanted to, it was double booked with another event. And she gave me an email last time, James, she emailed me. And then that double date moved that enabled me to say yes. Wow. Um, I knew that this woman heard from God. I knew that she was resilient and wanted to do everything she could to be the voice for the unborn. And so I looked at her in 2015 and I said, Betsy, I'm going to partner with you for pro-life in America. She said, great. We started this friendship where she's a prayer warrior intercessor praying for me through the night for actually particulars that she did not hear from me, but from God. And she was spot on as she prayed for me through many, many nights. She almost became my spiritual mom to the point that I called her mom. She called me son. 2018, she got a massive endowment for the nonprofit. And she told her, told her treasurer, please go find me a bank that does not give toward Planned Parenthood. Treasurer, after 21 days of looking throughout Santa Barbara, not one credit union, not one community bank, nor major bank actually said that they do not give toward abortion providers. They were very happy to report that. That's when God told Betsy, you're going to start my bank. It's going to be called Pro-Life Banks. So she calls me in 2018. She says, son, I'm starting God's bank. I said, that's awesome. She says, called Pro-Life Bank. Great. Would you come on phone calls with me? 
went on phone calls, James, and basically after some time between 2018 and 2019, God told her at the uh, at, at Q1 2019 that I am a co-founder and to help her drive this thing. And I said, no. She said, pray about it. Two weeks later, she said, God told me you're my co-founder. And I'm like, well, well, let him tell me too. So I said, for three months, don't contact me and let him tell me this is what he wants me to do. James, uh, within uh, those three months, um, I said a prayer with my wife, committing our life, our marriage, our ministry at B, to be ready to go onto the battlefield to become the vocal megaphone and poster child for pro-life. 16 weeks after that prayer, James, we had a grenade at our home with a pin. We had a spine drawn mm. over our home, a fake uh, magazine portraying me um, as um, anti-LGBTQ um, in a gay magazine. Uh, many things were affected through that. And, and then I woke up uh, and my bank of 15 years relationship um, was basically frozen. Um, uh, my credit cards were frozen. My debit cards were frozen. I called the bank. I said, what's going on? I said, do you need my fingerprints? Uh, they didn't laugh. Um, and they said, you've got 30 days to find another bank and we can't talk to you. They said a letter's coming and the letter said, we've done a review of who you are. And uh, we have chosen not to do any business with you. Hmm. Uh, now, this is back in 2019. This is before the words of cancel culture was prevalent. Mm -hmm. um, and so then, James, God said, after some time of settling down, and my credit score went from 827 to 606. And then we went through a financial crisis in 2019 between the uh, article and this and this and this and a lot of things were happening in 2019 that we kept quiet about. Now we don't have to be quiet about it. Um, by the grace of God, he's amazing. Uh, he, he caused all things to come together for the good. And basically, James, he said, so are you now ready to start my bank with Betsy? And I said, yes. So 2020 uh, was when we were learning and getting ready for Pro-Life Bank. You can go to ProLifeBank.com, give us the email address. We're going to give you announcements before we even do anything on social media. I don't really actually like social media. But I have 14 million social media fans there wanting to connect with me. So I will continue as best as I can until I'm canceled there as well. But I just want you to know um, that there are many friends of mine, James, who actually have the same story, but their banks actually didn't hold back and basically saying, because you work with Christians, we don't want anything to do with you. I know of 10 separate individuals in the last 12 months from small companies to multi-billion dollar wealth management systems uh, that actually were kicked out of banks. And so uh, not only obviously will pro-life bank never give to abortion providers, we found out that most major banks will tell you gladly that they actually fund um, abortions as a social responsibility cause thread. So here we are having God's money in our stewardship, profit being made of God's money there in funding death camps. So then obviously pro-life banks are going to do that. And in fact, we go a step further by the grace of God. We're going to give away 50 percent of net profits away uh, to Judeo-Christian aligned nonprofit organizations 
uh, as a forgiving bank. We're going to be opening up first as a trust uh, and then a full service bank, one brick and mortar, Dallas, Texas, and a digital national fintech. We're already getting some offers to go global pretty quickly as well. So it's very, very exciting. Uh, we're just trying to keep up with God. We're praying for our senior bank. We don't know who that is. We're praying for our CEO for our trust. We don't know who that is yet. And uh, we would appreciate your prayers. And please uh, find us at, again, ProLifeBank.com. Give us your email address or simply get your phone out now and you can text this number. The number is 70,000, 70,000. And you can text the word LIFE and be the first to get the announcements as our community therein in Pro-Life Bank. Great. Well, I will be sure to get all of your information in the description of this video. Nick Vujicic, you're truly an inspiration. And beyond that, you're doing incredible work for the kingdom, and I just think you're amazing. Please keep Kingdom's Cornerstone News in mind the next time you've got anything you want to share with people. I would love to talk to you again in the future. James, I love you and God bless you all. And may God bless America. May God bless your ministry as you continue to stand in front of the gates of hell and redirect traffic yourself. I appreciate you and I love you. And I appreciate your story, the testimony, and the platform that you have to share other people's stories that emanate the truth, no matter what our circumstances or struggles are, that Jesus is Lord. Thank you, Nick.